The reading this morning is from John, chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Am I on? Yes. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, we made it this morning. Like last week, we had a snowing day, so we couldn't make it. So I'm glad to see you all this morning, and I just want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, This morning, we're going to continue our sermon series on our relationship uh, with God. And a big aspect of our relationship with God is this area of discipline. And so I thought to uh, get our lesson started, I wanted to ask you a question that I had found from the complete Harper's Index. Now, it's based on American statistics, but it's probably similar uh, to what we experience here. So here it is. What percentage of Americans who own running shoes but don't use them for running? And in other words, what percentage of people who buy running shoes for their indented purpose don't actually use them for running. What do you guys think? Shout out some numbers. 90. 97. Okay. Okay. Here it is. 87%. Diana, you are close. That's impressive. Okay. So 87% of people, according to this statistic, who uh, buy running shoes, but don't actually use it for running. And now you might be sitting there and asking yourself, well, what on earth does this have to do with God's discipline? And when I came across this question, it got me to think about um, when we're Christians who God has set us out for our intended purpose, but choose not to uh, go through it or just choose not to be used for our intended purpose that God had set up for us. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a few things. One of the first things we're going to address is why does God discipline us? You know, what is his purpose? What is God trying to get out of us when he disciplines us? And last But not least is, uh, how does he do it? And this morning we're going to be working out of the text in Hebrews uh, verses, uh, sorry, Hebrews 12 verses 4 to 12. And we're going to be starting in verse 4. So that's Hebrews 12 starting in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses its son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you Um, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his sons. And so here in Hebrews, we see uh, the writers writing to an audience who've been struggling with some hardships. And one one of the thing one of the first things he points out is is this. He says, "Hey, despite with what you guys are going through, just remember, it hasn't cost you your life yet. You haven't shed your blood yet." And uh, he, he's getting them to think about Jesus in a way, right? Uh, when we ask ourselves, "What is God's purpose? What is God's why when He disciplines us?" And I think verse six sums it up, sums it up beautifully. It says, "Because the Lord disciplines the one He loves." So if there's one takeaway from this lesson, why does God discipline us? It's because He loves us. It's because He cares for us. Because He wants us to grow and be better people. 
Um, I think I wanted to touch on uh, uh, the, the, the verses prior to our text this morning, and I think they're, they're very important because, again, the writer is trying to set the tone for, for their minds and, and their hearts, and he's trying to get them to think about Jesus as being that example. And in fact, he says, hey, guys, uh, the, the chapter before, you know, that therefore, is the, the, the Hebrews chapter 11, he's talking about the famous chapter, uh, what's called the Hall of Faith. And he's talking about these, these group of people who are champions of faith who've gone through some severe hardships. In fact, some of them had cost them their lives. And he's, and he's, he's encouraging them. He's telling them, hey, those guys, these champions of faith, they're watching over you and cheering you on as you go through these hardships. And he's reminding them about this idea of a race. You know, so much, so often when, 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 you've, when, when you're a runner and, you know, you, you're racing and, you're laser focused on the finish line, right? And, and instead of, uh, he's given them this analogy where, where they want, he wants them to endure this hardship. And in fact, he wants them to be looking at Jesus. And, and it, this, this, uh, the word looking in Greek actually has a much fuller meaning than, than the English one. And he wants them to, to, to be focused on Jesus only, nothing else. Anything that comes in the way, should be pushed aside, and he wants them to focus on Jesus. And Jesus is our example. He wants them to, to look at Jesus as the example. But you know what? Jesus is much more than just an example. He tells them he's the originator and perfecter of our faith. You know, some of your translations might say the author. And Jesus is the example, but he's, he's much more than that. He is the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. He is King Jesus. And we know this because he endured the cross. I mean, if you're talking about hardships, there's no bigger hardship than somebody dying on the cross for one's sins. And he, and he, he, he didn't just come down to earth and he didn't just say, hey guys, you know, I want you to endure hardships. I want you to do all these things. Here's a book for you. You know, just study it and, and move on. But you know what? He led by example. He went and died on the cross for you and I. Let's continue on in our uh, text is starting in verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline as God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How, how much more should, uh, sorry, how much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our, for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produced a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and knees. Again, we, we want to talk about the context, and, and the writer is addressing a group of people who have been going through a season of prolonged hardship. You know, these guys have been going through some severe hardship. Whatever they were, they were, they were there for a while. And in fact, so much so that the, the, the prolonged hardship must mean the absence of God. Some of them started to think that. Some of them started to believe that, you know what, the fact that we're going through this for so long must mean God is not around. And it's interesting because this is how our culture is today, right? Whenever we're, we're smooth sailing, everything's going okay, and our life is perfect for a moment, hey, God is looking after us. But you know what? Um, and, and as soon as we face hardships, 
we tend to ask ourselves, why always me? Why am I going through this? You know what? God must be punishing me. Or in fact, maybe God is not even around at all. And the writer here is trying to get them to shift their thinking. He's trying to get them to, to switch their mindset. And in fact, he tells them, hey guys, God's discipline is actually a sign of his presence. Not the, not the other way around. The fact that you're going through this, it means that God is right in the midst of, 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 of your life at the moment. You know, the word discipline is mentioned ten times in, in the ten verses that we, we will address today. And, it, and it's an interesting word. And maybe some of you, whenever we read that word, you cringe. And it can be a misunderstood word. Because maybe some of us, um, we've experienced discipline. But instead of discipline, it was actually punishment. And so when we read that word and when we think about that word, we cringe based on our, our past experience. But I want to let you know that the word here that's used is peidia in Greek. And it simply means education and training. That's the definition of discipline. To educate and train us. So when we think about why does God do it, He simply wants to educate and train us. He wants to make us better people. And I love what the writer does here in Hebrews. He takes them back to familiar territory in Proverbs 3. He takes them back to, to, to stuff and scripture, their Old Testament, where they would have grown up with this. They would have, this would have been taught to them in their synagogues, at their homes. And, and he says, hey guys, have you forgotten these basic principles of God's discipline? And then he, he gives them this two relationship. Right? He uses these two analogies of a, of a father and a son, or a parent and a child, and a coach and an athlete. And that word chasing there that he uses in Proverbs 3, that's not a familiar word for us. We don't use that very often. But you know what? The audience who were listening to this, or reading this, they, they understood this. Because the Romans, what they used to do, they used to take athletes and chasten them. Elevate them to the highest level so that they're able to compete in sporting events or Olympics. And so they understood this when, when the writer was using these analogies. And speaking of father and son and, and parent and a child, you know, loving parents doesn't mean you do everything for your child, right? I mean, can you imagine if I did everything uh, that Hakim wanted at the pace that he wanted? It would be a disaster, right? So just because I love my child, it doesn't mean that I do everything for them. In fact, I'll share a little story with you. You know, we have a routine with, with little Hakim and um, around 7 o'clock we usually get him ready for bed and, and one of the ways we do that is we, we give him a bath and then uh, after his bath he always has to have a snack that's always been his routine he likes doing that and, and so sometimes as, as uh, snack approaches he's, he really wants to have uh, a cookie you know or a piece of cake you know or just, just something that has a ton of sugar in it now imagine I love my child but imagine if I did that for him. I mean, he wouldn't be going to bed, right? It'd be a complete disaster. He'd be bouncing off the wall. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question, or maybe you're thinking of this question right now, but why not discipline? Why don't some parents discipline? Have you ever wondered that? Now, I don't have every single answer for you, but I have a couple of suggestions. And I think one of the... One of the things that I was thinking about is maybe uh, the parents don't discipline for, for fear. Um, maybe they're fearful of, of losing the relationship. Maybe they love that relationship so much they don't want anything to get in the way in between them. And so they avoid this area at all. They, they don't discipline. 
Or maybe some people have experienced discipline as punishment, and so you know, they don't want to practice what they've experienced on their children. And so they, again, they avoid it at all costs. Another thing is, is, is um, distractions. And I'm, I'm thinking about my life. You know, sometimes I'm sitting there, I'm watching an important game, or I'm doing a project, I'm working, and um, I look over, I glance over, and, and my kids are tearing each other apart, and I know I should go over there and use it as a, uh, uh, to educate and train them. But you know what? I don't do it. I'm too distracted. I'm too busy. And so I avoid it. But you know what? Thankfully, God isn't this way. And you know what? God is willing to be misunderstood for a season so that we can be mature, disciplined children of His. I'm thinking about my younger days and when my parents disciplined me. And, you know, I was thinking about as I was going through it, um, at the time, I absolutely despised them for it. In fact, I thought my parents' sole purpose in life was to make my life miserable. But thankfully, they were okay with, with me feeling that way because they knew the end result. They knew that I would benefit from it. And you know what? As I grew older, as I got a little bit more mature, and I started to reap the rewards of that discipline, I thanked them for it. I thanked them for it. And I appreciated the fact that they put me through discipline so that I can grow and mature in, in, in areas of life. And it's the same thing with God. God's okay with being misunderstood for a season because God knows the pain of discipline will always outweigh the pain of regret. Isn't that the truth? The pain of discipline will always outweigh the pain of regret. I came across this quote by Jim Rohn. He says, we must all suffer from one of two pains. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The difference is discipline weighs ounces and while regret weighs tons. And isn't that the truth? You know, when you think about the pain of discipline, sometimes it's temporary. Sometimes it lasts days, weeks, months, maybe years. But hopefully, you know, you're learning and growing and over time it'll pass. And so it weighs ounces. It's nothing in the grand scheme of things. But you know what? The pain of regret that can have a lifelong lasting effect on our lives. It can have a domino effect on our lives, so much so that we could be walking around carrying tons on our backs. And it can be painful. And I'm thankful to God because He knows this. He knows that we, He doesn't want us to experience the pain of regret. So you know what? He's okay with being misunderstood for a season. So what is God's purpose? Our second point of our, our lesson. What's His purpose? We touched upon this a little bit, but God wants spiritual growth and maturity, right? We're never going to experience growth and maturity if we don't go through discipline. You know, as we, um, as we read earlier, uh, John 16, Jesus reminds his disciples, he says, Hey guys, in this world you're going to have trouble. That's, that's inevitable. We're all going to suffer. It's whether, what we have a choice about is choosing to go through it or not. And it's only then, when we choose to go through the, uh, the, the hardships and the pain and suffering, then we'll experience growth and maturity. Secondly, God wants to educate and train us. You know, when you think about most of you here, or when you've gone out and got a career in something, you didn't just wake up one day and became X, Y, and Z, right? You got educated, you went to school, you got trained on it. 
and you became a professional in your profession, right? Well, it's the same thing here. God wants to train us, to want to educate us, and he uses our life experience to do that. Verse 10 of our reading tells us God's discipline is for our own good, righteousness, and peace. At the end of the day, the the reason why God disciplines us, or his purpose, is because it's for our own good. You know, God is perfect. He doesn't need to be disciplined. But it's for our own good, so that we can experience righteousness and peace in our lives. I love what James 1, 2 and 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, I know this is a hard concept for us, and I have to admit, I don't always feel joyful as I'm going through hardships and testing. But you know what? I think what James and and the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to think is to change our, our mindset so that if we can master these things, it makes hardship so much easier to go through. And he uses the word testing there. You know, a few weeks back, Mile gave us a great sermon about Jeremiah and, and the clay and pottery. And this word is used from, from, from that. And simply what this word in, in, in Greek is dokimion, it means accepted or pleasing. And what happens was when you, were, when you have a pot, you got to put it through the fire, through a kiln. And, and only then if it passes through the kiln, they stamp it with this word, dokimion, accepted, pleasing. And just like fire is an absolute... For the pot, so is discipline for our faith. We need to be disciplined so that we can be tested, true and tried, so that we can experience righteousness, peace. And in fact, the writer tells us in Hebrew that, hey, unless you go through this, you're not legitimate children. And I don't know about you, that's a scary thought. So discipline is, is an essential part of our faith. Want to know how, uh, want to know another way God does this? I found this incredible. Check out, uh, John 15, 1 and 2. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and the Father is, uh, sorry, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. Listen to this. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Did you get that? Hey, God will discipline you sometimes when you're going through a season of righteousness, when you haven't done anything wrong at all. Why? So that you're even more fruitful. You know, God doesn't just say, hey, you know what? Go to Mexico, put your feet up, enjoy the sun, take a break from your faith journey. Although, by the way, I'd I'd love to be in Mexico. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'll take that any day of the week right now. But you get my point. God will prune you, even, even if you haven't done anything wrong at all, to elevate you. And, and you can think about this, as the writer gave us this idea of a coach and an athlete. You know, what do coaches do to their athletes? They chasten them, they push them beyond their limits. When they get good at one thing, they'll push them some more, and push them some more. Otherwise, they can't be great at what they do. If you're not familiar with who this is, and of course I have to use a sport analogy in my sermon, but this is Bill Belichick. Now some of you who know me, you know that I'm a Raiders fan, and you're probably like, Amir, what on earth are you bringing Bill Belichick, and why are you giving him credit? But I have to give credit where credit is due. And this is Bill Belichick, he's the coach of the New England Patriots. He's been there for over 20 years, and he's the most successful coach in, in NFL football. He's won six Super Bowls, he has every single record, pretty much, for a coach. And um, 
Recently, the Raiders just hired one of、uh, Bill Belichick's disciples. This guy worked under him for 13 years. And being the sport junkie that I am, I like to listen to interviews and pick these guys' brains and learn from them. And so they asked this guy, his name is Dave, and they said, What's one thing you learned from, from being around the greatest coach of all time? And his, his answer was incredible. He said, You know, after every season, we sit down together as a staff and we evaluate the season. You know, we, we review it, we watch tape, we, we do all those things. And those things are standard, by the way, in professional sports. But he says, You know what? Bill Belichick spends the most time on the seasons where we've won the Super Bowl. What? I mean, you guys are the champions of the world. You're on top of the world. What do you need to do that for? You've conquered the ultimate prize. But you know what? That's where he spends his most time. And this guy, Dave, was saying he scrutinizes that season more than any other season. And I don't know, maybe Bill Belichick has John 15, 1 and 2 stamped in his mind. But you know what? Bill Belichick will sit there and elevate his, his staff. He elevates his, his, his,、um, his players. He'll prune them when they're, when they're at the highest level, when they've, been, when they've been the most successful. It's the same thing with God. This is what God does for us. He'll put us through discipline when we haven't done anything wrong. And so the writer in verse 7 he says, Endure hardship as discipline. So when we go on to how does God do it? And it's interesting, you notice the writer doesn't spend too much time uh, 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 telling us what qualifies as hardship. What qualifies as hardship? According to this text, anything, big or small, anything. And maybe you're sitting there and you're asking yourself, well, hang on a second, I mean, what if it's hardship that I brought on myself? What if I went ahead and got、uh, financial debt, I racked up my credit card, and now I have these financial hardships? What about that? Does, does God want to help me through that? According to this text, yes, He does. Maybe you're asking yourself, well, hang on a second, Amir. What if it's、uh, hardships that were brought on by somebody that I love? Maybe you have a son or a daughter and, and they got divorced and their hardship now becomes yours because you love them, right? Does that qualify? According to this text, yes, it does. And you notice He says, He uses this word, endure. I think that's an important word, word because it's suggesting that these hardships long, last a long time. These things aren't dealt with overnight. And essentially, what he's saying to them get comfortable with being uncomfortable. He says, guys, get comfortable with being uncomfortable because you know what? Consider it discipline because God is treating you as his children. Another way. How, how does God do this? One other way is that He wants to be in the midst of your hardship. He wants to be in the thick of things, whether, it was, whether He was the source or not. He wants to be in the midst of your hardship. And He wants to help us through it. God also allows us to go through hardships, God allows us to go through these things so that we can grow and mature. That's another way he does it. But I know in verse 11 it says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, right? And, and we can probably all attest to that. It's, it stinks sometimes going through it. I know, I know myself, I'm a big baby. I, I whine and complain about it. But because of so often than not, I'm so focused on the problem and the struggles that I'm going through. But the writer in verse 11 tells them, Hey guys, you know what? It, it, it stinks going through it, but, but look at the end result. 
And sometimes that's what we need to be thinking about. Not at the issue itself, but think about what we will receive out of it. You know, righteousness, peace, growth, encouragement, all those things. Um, verse 12, he says, Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. And again, he goes back to Old Testament language. You know, these guys who are listening to this or reading this, they would have understood this. Because back in the Old Testament, they, they used to use this language. When somebody took, uh, when somebody built level paths and, and, and built their life on it and walked on that, that meant that you built your life on the wisdom of the Lord. That meant you built your life on, on God's word. And he's again, he's telling them, do this. This verse also got me to think about my wife, right? You, many of you guys know that Kristen is a, is a physical therapist. <clears throat> and for those of us who have experienced physical therapy, when we think about physical therapy, what is physical therapy in essence? Physical therapy is literally, the physical therapist is disciplining, uh, disciplining a limb. Right? And for those of us who have experienced that, what happens more oftentimes than not is that the limb that's being disciplined will oftentimes become stronger than the one that had nothing wrong with it at all. And as we go through the process of physical therapy, it, it's a process. It's painful. It takes time. Right? But hopefully we get that limb back to its, its original state. In fact, more often than times, it's, it becomes stronger. And it's the same thing with us, church. We want to be those disciplined limbs, right? We want to be those Christians who've, been, who've gone through discipline, who've gone through the process, the pain, so we could relate and connect with other people, so that we can grow, and so we can become stronger and stronger every single day. Lastly, I just want to leave you off with three applicable things we can take this and apply it to our lives today. Just three things. And as I was thinking about this, if you're somebody here who's struggling, if you're somebody who's been going through a season of prolonged hardship, I want to encourage you with, with a few things. Um, one of the first things I think is, is, is we, we, it's important that we submit to, to God. If you're struggling with hardships, if you're going through a season of prolonged hardships and, and you're lost and don't know what to do, I want to encourage you to submit to the God. How do you do that? Maybe you're asking yourself. Well, James tells us, um, ask God for wisdom. And so maybe today we can submit to God by asking Him for wisdom as we go through trials, as we go through hardships. And in Job 22, 21, this is Job's friend. He tells him, submit to God and be at peace with Him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Submit to God. Leave it up to God. Trust Him to take care of your hardships. You know, we don't have the answer for everything, Right? Sometimes you, you're going through these things and man, you just feel lost. And so I want to encourage you to submit to God and maybe ask Him for wisdom. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I love this passage. Because as you're going through these hardships, there's so many encouraging things from this passage. He says, God is faithful. First and foremost, God is faithful. He's faithful to you, to I. And you know what? He's not going to let you get tempted beyond what you can bear. 
whatever you're going through with today, you can handle it with him. He can help you through it. And I love this. He'll provide a way out. Eventually, he'll provide a way out for you. And I just find that so encouraging. The second application that I wanted to take home is, um, I was thinking about my high school days. And my high school days, I remember when we had test days, I used to get really nervous and anxious, right? And I loved it when a teacher would walk in and he said, Hey, today, the test that we're about to take, we're going to take it open book. We used to cheer. We used to get so excited. Yes. We also knew that the test was going to be hard, right? It's going to be a tough test. But hey, at least I can go find the answers in the textbook or my notes. And you know what? As I was thinking about this, I was thinking also, we used to go after um, older kids who, who've gone through the program that we're going through. And, and we used to ask them for older tests. Because you know what? If you had an older test, man, you would ace that exam or, 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 or that test. If you got your hand on an older test, that was gold. And I want to encourage you this morning, take the book open test. Or sorry, take the test open book. (laughs) Right? In this book, there are a bunch of old tests in here that God wants us to go through. There are a bunch of people who've gone through it. And I'm sure we can take encouragement from it. So submit to God and submit to Him. By asking him for wisdom. Take the test open book. And I love Romans 15, 4. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. You know, these aren't just a bunch of random writings in a book, right? Paul tells us that, hey, the purpose of God's word is to teach us. To provide us encouragement. Again, um, the writer talks about these champions of faith in, in, in Hebrews 11. And, and he tells them that these guys have gone through some serious tests. Take encouragement from it, guys. Take encouragement from Jesus, who endured the cross. And they also provide hope for us. I don't know about you, but going through um, hardships... The worst, the absolute worst feeling is is feeling hopeless. I think that's one of the worst feelings you could feel is, is, is feeling hopeless. But thankfully, God's word provides us a hope. And lastly, I want to just tell you guys, as you're submitting to God and you're taking the test open book, you know what? The enemy will tell you, hey, whatever you're going through, you're the only one going through it. Don't, don't tell anyone about it. It's embarrassing. Keep it to yourself. And that's the biggest lie that could be planted in our head. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. So not only take the test open book, but you know what? Take the test as a group. I think collectively when we bond together and we go through life's hardships, when we are being disciplined and we, we lean on one another, it makes life so much easier, doesn't it? When we pray for one another... When we have accountable friends and and family, I think it makes the hardships a lot easier to go through. So lastly, I just want to say is that, uh, just repeating myself again, take the, uh, uh, submit to God. Submit to God. 
take the test open book and take it as a group. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you are struggling, please reach out to somebody. You're not alone. There's so many people here who can help you. I know I've been blessed with that. And so I just want to thank you for your time.